Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Good luck with the most beautiful game. Do us proud. Red alert! They're up and running again. So sweet, splendid, succinct, just glorious execution. Guys, all I'm looking for is 60% effort, 4,000% of the time. How sharp was that? Sharp of mind and body. And that's why you see those beautiful tears. Look at his movements. The most dangerous man on the planet, nobody picks him up. Hello and welcome to another episode of Wonder Goal presented by the Action Network. I am your host, BJ Cunningham, alongside my co-host and friend, Anthony DeBundo. We have a almost full slate of Premier League matches. Only Chelsea and Brighton are off, so Chelsea can go play in the FIFA Club World Cup. But it's an interesting slate. We uh, we don't have necessarily a, a big match. None of the top seven teams are playing against each other, but... There is one place we'd like to start, and it's Thursday afternoon at 2.45 Eastern time. Liverpool is hosting Leicester at Anfield. Liverpool is a minus 360 favorite. Leicester sitting at 9-1 to and the draw at plus 550. This is an interesting match because Liverpool is obviously chasing Manchester City in the title race, even though uh, it seems pretty much over unless City starts to stumble uh, down the stretch here. This is a big-time revenge spot for Liverpool coming off a defeat to Leicester uh, during the festive fixtures. Leicester beat Liverpool 1-0 at the King Power Stadium during the festive fixtures, despite Liverpool completely dominating the match. Anthony, I'm going to kick it to you first. I have a few bets for this one, but where are you going for Liverpool and Leicester? Yeah, right now we have a few question marks in terms of who's going to be available. So we're recording this on Sunday night. Senegal and Egypt played in the... Africa Cup of Nations final today. Uh, They will be going back to Liverpool uh, on Tuesday or Wednesday. That's Sadio Mane and Mo Salah, the two best players on those two teams. They've just played a lot of soccer in the last month, uh, you know, not for Liverpool. Uh, And Jurgen Klopp said he doesn't know if they're going to be available. And that makes a huge impact to this line and to whether or not I can play uh, at this number. So right now at 3.5, which is the current total, I – We'll probably pass, but if, if Mo Salah and, and Sadio Mane are back in and the line shoots up to three and a, three quarters or four goals, like it did last time these two teams played in December, it actually got up to about 3.8, 3.9-ish. It was between 3.75 and 4. I'll be grabbing the under again. Uh, it's just way too high. I understand how bad Leicester's been. Since November 13th, they've allowed the 2.23 expected goals per 90 on defense. That is worse than every other team in the league by three-tenths of a goal. Uh, meanwhile, Liverpool have been the best attack in the league. 2.5 expected goals created in that time frame. So, look, I, I understand how bad this Leicester defense is. They're still very shorthanded in defense. Uh, but at a certain point, there is a bottom to this Leicester defense. The talent suggests they should be a below-average defense, but not one of the worst in the entire league. 
And so I think if, you know, they're defending behind the ball and not getting caught out in transition, they can be more effective. And that's really what happened in the first meeting. Uh, and that was at home. This is on the road. So it's a much, much more difficult challenge to go to Anfield and do that for 90 minutes. But they did only allow 2.1 expected goals in that game. And that came despite allowing a penalty that was missed by Mo Salah as well. So really, it wasn't like Liverpool created a ton of chances. I mean, they, they dominated the match, probably deserved better. But they weren't, you know, three, three and a half expected goals, which is some of the numbers we've seen this defense allow, allowing over four to Tottenham. Uh, so they, they, you know, they got wrecked by Nottingham Forest in the, in the FA Cup on Sunday. So th- there's a lot of red flags with this Leicester team, but I'm still going to lean towards the under if this gets to three, seven, five or four, and I'll probably be playing it at that point. But right now, too much uncertainty with Mo and, and Mane. And so I'm going to stay away right now. Yeah, you mentioned that the, the uncertainty of those two guys. We'll see what happens. My I have no inside information on this, but my guess is what's going to happen is they'll probably both be on the bench and Jurgen and Klopp will probably use them if needed. Obviously, Liverpool brought in Luis Diaz from Porto uh, during the transfer window. He, him, along with Diego Jota and Firmino, Liverpool has plenty of attacking talent up top now with those three guys, plus Harvey Elliott returned in the FA Cup this past weekend. So the depth for Liverpool is there. I am going to play Liverpool minus one and a half at minus 135 here, even if Salah and Mane are both out or on the bench. This Leicester defense is so bad. In that match, obviously, you know, Liverpool only created 2.5 expected goals, but they had 74 touches in Leicester's penalty area. That might be maybe the biggest total of anybody this entire season. It was the most all season that any team has had. Yeah, crazy. When they have to play the big boys, it really, it gets really, really bad. And against the top seven teams in the league this year, they're allowing 2.46 expected goals per match and 2.5 big scoring chances per match. I think they just allowed seven to Tottenham uh, a few weeks ago. So it's bad. Obviously, Johnny Evans is still out. So Daniel Armati is having to play out of position at center back alongside Sionko, which hasn't been working. Casper Schmeichel was really starting to trend downwards. His post shot uh, XG plus minus is around minus three. So he's definitely not the, the type of goalie that we saw when Leicester won the Premier League title. It's a really, really bad defense. And Liverpool, we talk about revenge spots. This is probably the biggest revenge spot they're going to have all season uh, because they really should have won that match uh, against Leicester. So, and it really took them out of the title race against Man City and gave a, a Pep Guardiola side a huge advantage. So I love Liverpool in this spot. Also the, the loss that Leicester had to Nottingham Forest was even more concerning because they played their A plus lineup. It was as good as they possibly could have done. And they still allowed Nottingham Forest to just thrash them on the counter. So I love Liverpool in this revenge spot. I have their spread projected at around minus 2.4. So even if Salah and Mane are out, I don't think that the loss of those two guys, especially with Luis Diaz coming in, makes up for the the gap, getting it down to one minus one and a half. So I'll take uh, the Reds minus one and a half at minus 135. Let's kick it to Tuesday at 2.45 Eastern time. Newcastle, one of the richest clubs in the Premier League now, is hosting Michael's beloved Everton Toffees. Newcastle is plus 160. Everton sitting at plus 175 and the draw at plus 240. Anthony, do you have anything for this relegation battle, really, uh, at this point in the season? Yeah, you know, Newcastle have made the biggest uh, splash, uh, or not splash, but the splash is. They have the most puddles uh, of, of transfer additions 
They added Bruno Guimaraes from France, which I think is a pretty impressive signing when you look at his ability to play the ball forward, his ability to do some ball winning, ball progression. Like he's a very good all around midfielder and and really somebody who I think walks into the first team and really makes a big difference for them. They also added Dan Byrne, a really good ball playing center back who played at Brighton, who can play fullback. Uh, he can play wing back. He's really versatile. And I think those two additions along with, you know, Chris Wood and, and Kieran Trippier who have already been added and who have already played for Newcastle make this team not one of the three worst teams in the league anymore. So I actually think Newcastle might see an uptick in performance because they now have a few more players who are capable of playing the way that that Eddie Howe likes to manage and the way that he wants to to play. And I think they're they're better than Watford, Burnley, and Norwich as currently constructed. With that being said, I also think Everton, you're getting a pretty much the lowest point you're going to get with Everton here. I mean, they're road dogs at Newcastle. Uh, and so I'm not really willing to play this either side because I think both teams are, are a little bit undervalued right now. Uh, generally speaking in the market and the number seems relatively close. I'd probably make Everton a tiny favorite, but Everton also may not have Dominic Calvert-Lewin. He's questionable for this game. I'm really excited to watch this match because of all the new pieces we have. Frank Lampard, of course, joining Everton as the manager. He plays a much more open attacking style. At least he did at Chelsea and he did it, uh, you know, in managerial jobs past. He was at Derby County, but we don't know, you know, what his plan is here. What's he going to do with Delhi Alley? What's he going to do with Donny van de Beek? Two players who, in the right system, I think can be very successful for Everton, but I'm not sure how long that's going to take. And I'm not sure, you know, if they play really open, you know, their games are going to be really interesting when Everton's been healthy this year, they've been an average Premier League team. They've been right around 10th or 11th. So I don't think uh, that they're, they're quite really in the relegation picture now that they've added to the squad and are getting healthier. But again, I don't really want to bet them on the road here against an improving Newcastle. Yeah, for those wondering why Bruno Gamares, who has been, you know, he's been a big target for a lot of the bigger clubs like Arsenal and Chelsea, and a lot of clubs have been really after him, why he'd join essentially a, a relegation team. Well, Newcastle, with all that new money, they quadrupled his wages from Leon. So <laughs> money talks, it seems sometimes. But I, I do actually like Everton in this spot. Frank Lampard, you know, he played a 3-4-3. Uh, in the FA Cup match against Brentford on Saturday. So you're not going to see any of the archaic 4-4-2s or 4-4-1-1s that we saw under Rafa Benitez. The big thing with Everton is there's obviously they're starting to get healthy. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, like you said, is questionable. But with Lampard playing a 3-4-3, it allows a lot of their players like Richarlison to play in more of their natural type of role instead of having to play as a striker up top in a 4-4-2, which he, when he's normally a winger, or at least that's how he played when he was at Watford. Everton's probably going to play a back line of Michael Keane, Mason Holgate, and Yuri Mina. We've already, I've already said it a million times how much better Everton is when Yuri Mina is back in the lineup. Adding Donnie Vandebeek and Deli Alley, like you said, I don't know if they're going to feature in this type match. They might come off the bench. Who knows? They might start them. A lot of the new signings around this past weekend started right away. So uh, Everton might throw them in, uh, in this type of match, those two playing alongside each other are very, very interesting. Uh, and I think they could potentially work really well together. The biggest thing with Everton though, we talk about it all the time. They really struggle against teams that press them at a high rate. Newcastle is not that team. They're dead last in pass per defensive action. On the flip side, Newcastle is the second worst team against pressure in the premier league while Everton is actually fourth in pressure success rates. So, I think this is a good spot for Everton on the road. We'll see how these new pieces for Newcastle blend together. But as it stands today, I think Everton is a better team than Newcastle. So 
I, I do make Everton a small favorite in this one. So I do like the toffees draw no bet at even money. Let's move on on Tuesday to West Ham at the Olympic Stadium taking on Watford. West Ham is minus 255. Watford sitting at seven to one and the draw at plus 400. I don't have a lot for this match. Uh, I do think that it's fairly priced. Uh, Watford obviously coming off a 0-0 draw with Burnley this past weekend, while West Ham needed a late Declan Rice goal to beat a sixth-tier side in the FA Cup. Uh, so they had to end up having to go to extra time and ended up winning. I do think it's fairly priced. West Ham obviously dominated Watford the last time these two teams met, created 2.9 expected goals, and I believe won 4-1. to I have nothing to this one. Do you have anything for West Ham and Watford? Yeah, I have a lean toward Watford plus one and a half. It's right now it's at minus 130. If that gets down to minus 110, 115, I'll be playing it. I don't really want to lay the juice right now. Uh, I'm going to make the case that West Ham is, is probably the most overrated team in the league now. Uh, now that Chelsea's regressed, we have a new target. At least I have a new target. Uh, and I know that that hurts Michael and BJ because we've, we've, we've won a lot of money betting West Ham this year, but they, in the first two months of the season, had the fourth best expected goal difference in the league. That was September, October, first half of August, two and a half months. The last two and a half months, November, December, January, there hasn't been a lot of soccer in January, but what was played, they are 10th best expected goal difference. And they've been about 13th defensively. Now you can say injuries play a part of that and they do. It looks like Kurt Zuma's back now, so that will improve the defense. Uh, but they're going up against a Watford team who seems to be reinvigorated defensively by the simplistic yet effective, apparently, approach uh, that Hodgson had in the four four, you know, with the four four two, of course. And they only allowed one expected goal, and they kept a clean sheet, which they had not done all season. So, you know, I think they're going to be in, inspired defensively here. I think they're able to keep out a West Ham attack that has run well above their expected goals more than any other team in the entire league. They have outperformed their expected goals. And Mikel Antonio and Jared Bowen and guys like that are not notoriously great finishers. So I'm not really buying into the uh, the West Ham, you know, attack numbers that are seem to be due for some regression. So I lean toward Watford. You did mention it. The last time these two teams played, which was not long ago, it was end of December, uh, was a pounding for West Ham. They really hit them quickly for a couple of goals early in the first half and then and dominate the rest of the game. Watford for the first 20 or so minutes, I thought really was in that game. And, and again, new manager now, I know they're on the road, but I, I think this is a, a good spot for Watford potentially, but again, I need a better number to play it. So right now staying away. Yeah. Let's move on to the next match and my most overrated team in the premier league. Burnley is hosting Manchester United at Turf Moor at 3 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Burnley is at plus 500. Man United, a minus 170 road favorite with the draw sitting at plus 310. All-star here. I love Burnley in this spot. They, these two teams met on December 30th. United won 3-1 uh, and one on expected goals, 2 to, to 0.8. However, Burnley did not play their best possible lineup in that match. Aaron Lennon started up top with Chris Wood. Jack Cork was in the midfield. Wayne Hennessy was between the pipes. This time around, it's going to be a lot different. Wout Weghorst looked actually pretty good in his debut for Burnley. Maxwell Cornet has been a revelation for them. He'll be back in the lineup. And Nick Pope, obviously their best goalkeeper, is back in goal, along with Dale Stevens, who is a much better midfielder than Jack Cork. Basically, all of Burnley's issues this season have come away from Turf Moor. They actually have a plus one expected goal differential at home versus a minus 10.8 expected goal differential on the road. In fact, Burnley's defense is only allowing 1.08 
expected goals per match at home this season and has not lost once by multiple goals. Typically with Sean Dyche teams, they allow a ton of shots. They try to keep them low quality. This season's really no different. We've obviously mentioned they haven't really been blocking shots like they've been used to, but Burnley is dead last in shots allowed per 90, but they're seventh in big scoring chances allowed. So they're really improving in that aspect in terms of holding teams to those low type of low quality shots. Manchester United, they're currently sitting in the top four with a minus one expected goal differential. Since Ragnick took over, United has played eight matches in the Premier League. They put up a plus 3.2 expected goal differential, but only one of those matches came against a top seven side, and they have been horrific defensively away from home, allowing 1.8 XG per match. I think United is way overvalued here on the road. I only have them projected uh, around even money. Uh, so I love Burnley plus one uh, at minus 120 or better, and they might just might be my favorite underdog this week. Do you have anything for Burnley and Manchester United? Yeah, you pretty much laid out the case for Burnley, and I think that's a, a very fair case. And, and the, the splits away home, I think, are really a strong point. When you look at how bad United has been defensively away from home compared to at home, you know, the last few matches they played, I know they, they lost to Middlesbrough in the Cup. Let's not get carried away with that. It was a fun to banter them on social media and to make fun of my, my friends who are United fans after that performance. Uh, after the loss, but the performance, I mean, they, they had 30 shots and Ronaldo missed a penalty and, and Bruno hit the bar on an open net. I mean, they, they should have won that game going away, created a lot of expected goals, didn't didn't take any of their chances. But they're actually showing some signs of improvement. I think they their last two uh, games at home against West Ham and at home against Middlesbrough were probably two of the three best games they've played under Ragnick. Uh, and he's gotten a lot of the, the deadwood out of the club. So... I want to, you know, long-term say they're going to be fine. But again, you mentioned the body of work and I don't think we can get stuck in recency bias because I keep waiting for United to turn this around. They're so talented. They have a lot of the pieces to make this work, but they continue to not do that. And so I also lean toward Burnley plus one, probably will end up playing Burnley plus one with you. Uh, I think the most interesting thing here is the attack. And when they played at United, they actually scored a goal and created about one XG, but really early in the game, there was a lot of dangerous counterattacks that, that, that didn't quite come off for Burnley that almost resulted in shots. They almost scored on a set piece. Again, United has really struggled defensively on set pieces and United has struggled in transition. Those are two areas where I think Burnley can get at them. Vegors was fine. I thought two shots, 0.4 XG at home against Watford is not going to inspire much. We have to see, you know, get more of a sample, of course. But you mentioned it with Cornet. Him getting four shots is pretty significant for a team who doesn't get a ton, a ton of shots per 90 uh, is pretty significant. So I also lean toward Burnley. Uh, but I'm, I just have this feeling that United is going to turn a corner at some point. And I'll be looking to see when that's going to happen. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, they Their schedule is a, a tad uh, easy coming up here for a few matches. And then it gets pretty difficult. One thing about United, 5.6 expectables allowed off of corners, but they've only allowed three. So some type of negative regression there. Obviously, Burnley has a ton of big bodies now adding Weghorst in there on corners. So it'll be very interesting to see if United can defend on those, but let's move to Wednesday, Manchester city. It's taking on Brentford, Manchester city, the biggest favor on the board this week, minus 900 while Brentford is 18 to one and the draw sitting at plus nine fifty. Anthony, I'll let you kick this one off. Michael is not here, but I imagine he will be playing Brentford at 18 yep. to one. I just mm -hmm. thought I would get that out of the way. We all know. Uh, and 
the, the biggest thing here is the home and away splits for the bees. We've talked about it ad nauseum on the show. They still exist. They're still pretty concerning. In fact, I mean, they played Man United, you know, just two weeks ago, completely dominated them, played Wolves. I thought where they were the much better side in that game for large stretches. They lost 2-1 at home. Uh, then they go on the road to Everton in the FA Cup. Both teams played a pretty strong side. They get wrecked. They go to Liverpool, wrecked. Uh, they went to Southampton. They got wrecked. So I, I, I'm playing under three and a half because my numbers make me play it. Uh, my projection is only 3.1. So I'm going to play the under three and a half. I also think City could be in a sleepy spot. Brentford are a team that I don't expect to just give in and get pummeled because when we look at the numbers, how hard they work off the ball, uh, when it comes to stuff, you know, when you look at like ball recoveries, second defensively in ball recoveries, seventh in passes per defensive action, they press with intensity, they press and they win the ball. They work hard wherever they play, but they've just had no attack whatsoever on the road either. So I don't know how they score here. And again, city has kind of had the handbrake on in the league lately. They're just grinding out wins, you know, pretty much just seeing it out. I don't think they have the league title wrapped up because Liverpool have a game in hand. They still have to play. So it could be three in theory, but they're, I mean, they're overwhelming favorites at this point. They just need to win games. Only 1.5 XG uh, against Southampton, only 0.7 against Chelsea, only 1.8 against Arsenal, only 0.8 against Brentford. They have not been running up the score at all. Could mean they just decide to do it against Brentford, but I think it's much more likely that doesn't happen. So under three and a half uh, minus 110, I played. I'm right there with you. This is one of my favorite plays of the entire week. Brentford, when they met, Manchester City, the last time, it was a really impressive defensive performance for them. Obviously, they were at home, but only allowing City 17 shot-creating actions and 24 touches in their penalty area. That's the lowest output from City offensively in any competition against anybody this entire season. So this Brentford defense is capable, and they are still have a chance to, to hold Manchester City. But you mentioned it. Manchester City has the handbrake on. We're seeing them play that slow, pragmatic-type style where they just possess the ball a ton in the opponent's half of the field like we saw last season. They're dead last in direct speed per Opta, or only around 1.9, which measures you know meters per second. They're holding on average a little over 67% possession in Premier League matches. So when they are holding that much possession, it obviously allows their defense to put up just crazy numbers. Uh, only 0.66 non-penalty expected goals allowed per match, and only a total of 13 big scoring chances this season. So I agree with you. I, I don't see how Brentford actually scores in this match. They're 17th in shots per 90, second to last in box entries, going up against the best defense in the Premier League and maybe the world. It's hard for me to see how Brentford's really going to get on the board here. City could potentially pick their score, but I have a hard time seeing if they get up to nothing if to just you know go full pedal to the metal here. So I my projection is only 2.7 uh, goals for this one. So Man City matches on average this season are only averaging around 2.9 expected goals and only 35% of their matches have gone over three and a half goals. So I'm with you. I love under three and a half goals. Let's move on to Norwich. They are hosting Crystal Palace on Tuesday at 245. Norwich is plus 250. Palace is a plus 115 road favorite with the draw sitting at plus 245. I'll start here. I like Crystal Palace in the spot. I understand that they have not performed well on the road compared to their performances at home. But I'm not so sure this Norwich team is back to being not one of the three worst teams in the Premier League. They beat Watford 3-0 before the break on the Friday night. Josh Sargent had a brace. Uh, but in my opinion, this is still the worst team in the Premier League. Even that match against Watford, Watford actually won the expected goals battle 1.1 to 0.7. 
Norwich, their offense is still really struggling to create high quality chances. They've only created over one expected goal once in their last seven matches, and they're dead last in expected goals, shots per 90, and big scoring chances. Now they have to go up against one of the best defenses in the Premier League. Crystal Palace only allowing 1.1 non-penalty expected goals per match and has allowed the second fewest big scoring chances. When these two teams played last time, Crystal Palace went up 3-0 right away in the first half and kind of just rode out the match for the entire second half. Norwich did create a few chances, uh, you know, with Crystal Palace kind of just taking their foot off the gas in the second half. But Palace was without Connor Gallagher and Wilfred Zaha for that match. So with the Crystal Palace offense, that actually has really been improving the last two months. 10.6 expected goals in their last seven matches, including 2.2 expected goals against Liverpool right before the international break. Palace tends to struggle when they play teams that will press them high. They're 15th in offensive passes per defensive action, but Norwich is dead last uh, in pressure success rate. So I think this is a good spot for Crystal Palace, even though they haven't performed as well on the road that they have at home. I have them projected at minus 106. So I like the value at plus 115. Do you have anything for Norwich versus Crystal Palace? Yeah, my number's about right. Two teams I think are, well, at least two teams that I think, uh, generally speaking, do have some positive regression coming. The one interesting thing, Norwich have scored in three consecutive games, which is crazy because they've only done that twice all year. The first time they had a 2-1 loss to Leeds, 2-1 2-1 win against Brentford. They fired Farka, and then they had the 2-1 win against Southampton. So now they've scored in three straight. They beat Everton. They beat Watford. They beat Wolves in the FA Cup. It's a pretty good run. But like you said, a little fortunate to win all those. They were due for a few games where they took some chances that they probably didn't deserve to, and, and Sargent especially with his two goals against Watford. They get an own goal in both games. So, you know, you're looking at it, and you're like, okay, are they really doing any better? You look at the passes in the penalty area. You look at the possession stats, the passing numbers. Nothing really suggests that anything has really changed. So I would lean toward Palace if I had to, but I'm not really enough value on the road for this number for me. All right, let's move on. On Wednesday, your Tottenham Hotspurs are hosting Southampton at 245 Eastern. Tottenham is a minus 160 favorite. Southampton at plus 475 with the draw at plus 310. I don't really have anything for this match. My number is pretty close uh, to what it is when these two teams met last during the uh, festive fixtures. Southampton got a red card uh, and was able to hold off uh, Spurs for the entire match and, and get the point. I don't I don't have anything for this one. How are you feeling about your Spurs? I'll have a full preview of this match up on uh, the actionnetwork.com. We'll also have full previews for every match in the midweek. So go read those good analysis and hopefully we find some winners. But uh, I lean toward the over here. I played over two and a half in the first meeting. And I think it might've been my worst, one of my worst beats of the year. Uh, I understand there was a red card that really threw things off, but really it was one, one heading into halftime Spurs had an extra man. They had two goals, very controversially ruled off because of VAR, uh, And I thought both were the wrong decision. With that being said, Spurs attack and Southampton's attack are both two teams that are on the list of teams. You'd expect to have a, a big offensive breakout coming Tottenham did score three goals at the weekend. And what was, I think, a very underrated performance. Nobody talked about it because it was the cup, but Spurs and Brighton both played their best team. Harry King got two goals. There was a fluke goal in there that went Spurs way. Most importantly, though, and the reason I'm just leaning toward the over is that the addition of Christian Romero back into the lineup made the Spurs defense considerably better uh, and made them look sturdier at the back. Southampton 
scored on across and, and was very dangerous on set pieces in the first meeting. I think they can do that again. Of course, James Ward Prowse, best set piece taker in the entire league right now. My projection has it at 2.82 goals. So not a ton of value in the over 2.75, but again, with the regression indicators pointing the way they are for Tottenham, especially Harry Kane seems to be turning a corner potentially, but for the season, they're still only at 26 goals scored despite almost 32 expected goals for and and an attack for Southampton, they're running a little behind theirs too. They've been on a bit of a hot finishing run themselves. So I lean toward the over. I think this game's going to be pretty open yet again, like it was the last time back and forth. And the one big thing, Southampton's defense, they play in a defensive press and, and that makes them vulnerable to when they do get broken open or beaten over the top, they tend to have serious issues. If, if the press is just a little off, that leads to huge chances. Well, Tottenham is the kind of team the way they played under Conte and the way they played under Mourinho last year, it's relatively similar uh, in terms of, you know, still being relying a little bit on long balls over the top to Kane and Son. Well, that's a way for them to absolutely attack this Southampton defense and saints gave away the penalty and got the red card in part because Son was in behind one-on-one with the goalkeeper and they took him out. So I think they'll be able to get in behind a few times here. And if they're finishing, which we know they're due to do, uh, I think there's a good chance this goes over 2.75, but I'll have the full write up on the site as of Tuesday. Yeah. I'm actually kind of leaning Tottenham here. Uh, I, I have Tottenham spread projected right around minus one. I have them projected minus minus one fifty-five. The thing about Southampton is there, it looks like Alex McCarthy is going to be out. Uh, Broja looks like he's going to miss the match as well, which obviously hurts Southampton. And as much as I hate to admit it, Tottenham has maybe been one of the more impressive teams in the premier league over the last two months. And they're obviously trending the right way with a lot of their attackers getting healthy. So I'll be interested to see minus one is plus one fifteen right now. I'm really, really close to playing that. I want to see if potentially it'll tick up. I don't know if we'll potentially get a, a minus one at plus one twenty, but uh I'm leaning towards Tottenham and I also have two point eight five goals projected for this match. So we're right on uh with the projection of the over. So uh I agree with both those points as you know with the over and, and myself potentially playing Tottenham minus one. And one thing, you know, this closed 135, 140 Spurs on the road in December. Uh, so, you know, you take home field into account where Spurs have been considerably better. I know they played more home games than away games, but they've been considerably better at home, naturally. But that doesn't really, the, the swing in the line has not accounted fully. Uh, Southampton's getting a bit of a bump, it seems, in the market. I don't can't imagine Spurs have been downgraded. So um, it seems that Saints have been upgraded. I'm not really sure what, what the basis is for that. I know they had a good result against city, but the performance was, again, we saw city was pretty flat. Uh, so I'm not really sure I'm buying into Southampton here either. All right, let's move on to the final game of Wednesday, Aston Villa hosting Leeds. I don't really have much for this. I, I think my projection is pretty close to what the actual line is. Aston Villa has, their performances and the results have been pretty good under Steven Gerrard, but you look at the underlying metrics, they're really not that impressive. You know, it doesn't really match up to what their actual results are. I, I'm going to be passing on this one. Do you have anything for Aston Villa versus Leeds? Yeah, I have a, a lean toward Leeds uh, and I have a like on the under the, the two teams in the league that have had the worst goalkeeping uh, shot stopping wise in the entire league are playing each other. And that's Leeds with Melier and somehow Emmy Martinez, he, of course, he had the howler against United. These two defenses are both underrated. And I know Leeds' defense is awful, but so much of their numbers, their season-long numbers that are baked into what, you know, my, my numbers and your numbers go into and what you know, when we talk about total XG and whatnot, so much of that is skewed 
by a handful of games where they had to play the Academy, especially when they had to play these awfully depleted lineups and they happened to run into their toughest part of their schedule where they were getting Arsenal and city. And they gave up, I think it was 10 goals in two games and they ran into Liverpool who trucked them. So they had a weird run where they've gotten pasted really badly by some of the big six teams. But if you look at the other results, they haven't been nearly as bad. You know, they beat West Ham three, two, they beat Burnley three, one, Uh, They were very competitive at Chelsea and only lost because of two penalties that went against them. They played a draw with Brentford. And then if you go back to early in the season, we talked about it. They just weren't finishing any chances despite the defense giving up and and conceding goals like it was last year. They just weren't finishing at the levels they were last year. That's why they fell down the table. Now we get Villa, who has been pretty efficient in front of net, despite not creating a lot of chances under Gerrard. And I don't know how long that's going to last. I know they added Coutinho. He's pretty good. You know, obviously he showed that in the, in the United game when he really bossed it. But again, they played Everton in a great spot uh, at home and only had 0.7 expected goals and scored off a corner on a header by Andy Bundia, the smallest guy on the pitch. So they really didn't create a ton against Everton. And that was Everton in turmoil, who's been awful on the road. So there's some concerning indicators. My numbers show value on both the under and on Leeds. We'll get to why I like Leeds a little bit later. But overall, I think Leeds defense and Villa's defense are both underrated here. This strikes me as a is a pretty cagey affair. And I don't think Villa is uh, quite as, or should be quite as favored as they are right now, based on my numbers. I've got them right around uh, even money to win. Villa's performances. I, I mentioned this in our last pod, but only around, they're only creating around one expected goal per match under Gerard. Obviously their defense has improved, but the offensive numbers are really not there that way you'd expect it based on the results that that match against Everton was interesting because Everton didn't have a shot in the first half. And obviously Aston Villa got the goal off of the corner and then Everton pretty much dominated the entire second half. So I agree with you, even if Aston Villa goes up early here, obviously it's scary whenever Leeds goes down to potentially maybe play them live. But I do think that maybe there's potential to play Leeds live or potentially, like you said, as an underdog, let's move on to the final match Thursday, two forty-five. My Arsenal gunners are on the road at Molyneux against wolves. Anthony, I'll let you kick this one off first and then I'll give my thoughts. Yeah, this Wolves luck box defense needs to stop. I mean, this is ridiculous now. Uh, And they conceded two goals against Brentford last time out. They did concede a goal to Norwich, uh, but they have conceded 16 goals from 27 expected. I know we've talked about the Wolves attack a ton and how they have all this regression coming, but this defense has been unbelievable. Everybody keeps talking about how they're this incredible defense and, and they're a good defense, but their expected goals say that they're about the sixth best in the league, worse than Brighton, worse than Liverpool, worse than Chelsea, worse than Spurs, worse than City. And I'm really not quite buying into the idea that Jose Sa is the greatest goalkeeper the world has ever seen. Uh, you know, they don't concede a lot of big scoring chances, but Arsenal is a team that kind of overwhelms you with shots, not necessarily big chances, especially in the Lacazette being the way he is. They don't get a ton of huge chances. They tend to, you know, get shots from everybody else, the Martinelli's, the Smith Rose, the Odegaards and the Sockets of the world. They don't really have one primary main big chance getter. So I think this sets up again, Wolves are now an over team. We've talked about this on the pod uh, to be a pretty open game that features a bunch of chances at both ends. I still have question marks about this Arsenal defense, which in and of itself has been a bit fortunate as well. They've only conceded 25 goals despite over 29 expected allowed. So I'm playing both teams to score minus 115. It's a little lower than I thought. I think this is a competitive match. I lean toward Wolves. But again, this defense is due to get pounded, like pounded, pounded uh, at some point. And I think, you know, they've got some games coming up against big six teams. They got lucky 
to not concede more to uh, when they played both Liverpool and City in consecutive games. Then they got Chelsea in a weak lineup spot. They've got Tottenham, Arsenal, Leicester, West Ham the next four games after this Arsenal game. And I think there's a big chance that those goal numbers conceded start going way up. Yeah, I should have mentioned it off the top. Arsenal is a plus 120 favorite on the road. Wolves is sitting around plus 255 in the draw, plus 225. I hate this because I, I think Arsenal is overvalued in the market. Mikel Ortez has this team improving greatly the past few months. They've been playing so much better than they have uh, at the beginning of the season. But this line, to me, is it's a little crazy. I understand the overperformance from the Wolves' defense, but Arsenal's been really bad away from home this season. And obviously a lot of that is due to the fact that they got completely thrashed by both City and Liverpool. But minus 5.1 expected goal differential, allowing 1.8 expected goals per match on the road. That's... Not good. And while Wolves, on the other hand, has been incredibly solid at home in the Premier League, they've only lost once in their last seven matches. If you remember, Wolves lost their first three home matches of the season to Tottenham in a match that was pretty even. Manchester United, which they completely smashed them and lost one nothing, and then gave up uh, a penalty and a mistake to Brentford and lost 2 nothing. Outside of that, the last seven matches, they've only lost once to Liverpool, who scored at the death, but obviously should have won that game based on how many expected goals they created. We've seen in the past, Wolves tends to play very compact. They don't really press above the, the halfway line. Arsenal, when they have to try to break down low blocks, they tend to struggle a bit. If you look at their matches against Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brighton, Brentford, Arsenal really does tend to struggle against those teams that will play low blocks, which I expect actually Wolves to do for at least a large portion of this match. So like you mentioned, Arsenal gets a ton of shots, but they're low quality. And it's not like the type of chance they get when they play teams that want to play open. Like for example, Leeds there, obviously that match was against the Academy, but still when Arsenal gets to play open teams, they tend to play a lot better. I don't know what to make of Wolves offense. I I've I'm, I'm done trying to, to figure out what, if they're, uh, an over team, if they're going to improve at some point, they created over two expected goals against Southampton for the first time since September. And they followed that up by creating 0.2 expected goals against Brentford on the road before the break. And they were shut out this past weekend in the FA cup by Norwich of all teams. And they played a pretty strong lineup. So I do think Wolves gets a result from this match. I think Arsenal is overvalued in the market. I have this match projected really close to a pick em, So I'm taking Wolves plus half a goal uh, at minus 135. It pains me to to bet against Arsenal, but they're overvalued in the market here. I I I don't I don't see how anybody can play Arsenal at plus 120 on the road against a, a really obviously it's a defense that's overperforming, but you know 27 expected goals in in 20. Yeah, they're still a good defense. It's still really good. Like it's yeah. Like, it's, I'm not saying I'm yeah. not saying Wolves are some bad defense right. out here, but I'm just right. saying they, that they have the fewest. I mean, you know. It's just ridiculous to not, and it's not sustainable. And over the course of time, you can you can get lucky in the short term where teams just don't take any of their chances. And that's what's happened on top of the fact they're a good defensive team. But does anybody really think they're as good defensively as City? That's what the numbers say. I don't believe that. No, no. Yeah, what it is is basically they, they've conceded a ton of expected goals to, to really good teams, which you could make the case that Arsenal is up there, but I wouldn't put Arsenal up in the level of Liverpool or Man City who created, you know, Liverpool created 2.5 and Man City created 3.5. And in pretty much every other match, they've held their uh, opponent under two expected goals. So 
a little bit of that's inflated, but again, they're still running pretty hot. And I, I really don't, just don't know what to make of Wolves right now <laughs> or what, or what, what this team is. So uh, I'm playing plus, plus a half uh, minus minus one thirty-five because they're good home performances and Arsenal tends to struggle on the road. So uh, that's it for the slate of premier league matches as always, even though it is only nine matches in the midweek, we will give you an underdog that will probably painfully lose just like uh, minded this weekend. Uh, another two goal lead down the drain. Two goal lead. I think that's four for me. Now four I'm going to go, I'm going to go look you. up the, I'm going to go look up the stats afterwards and I'll put it out on Twitter to see how many it is, but I think it's four underdogs I've had that have mm-hmm. had a two goal lead and blown it. <laughs> and, and I think I ended up lo- a lot of them ended up losing too, which a yeah, lot of well, I know Rome, Roma. And I remember Venezia did uh, it. Venezia did it. Mm-hmm. I can't remember. Like there, was, there was definitely an Udinese in there. They, yeah, they've it, won it, every lead. Oh, every yeah, possible. Was, uh, I can't Maybe it was against Lazio. I can't remember um, during the midweek or maybe that was you. Well, I'll put it out on Twitter. Um, and we'll, we'll also put out our records for, um, the underdogs as well. Uh, we'll get we'll, the accountant and they will do a nice audit uh, of our, our records. But this is the part of the podcast where Michael usually warns you that these teams are underdogs for a reason. Be careful uh, with these because uh, these two teams that we're about to give you, we do think there's value on them, but it's also uh, they're not usually expected to win. Uh, but we do think that the percentage chance of them winning is better than what the market has them at. And that's ultimately what we try to do here on the Action Network and on the Wonder Goal podcast is we try to give you positive expected value bets. So, Anthony, why don't you give the people your underdog for the week? Yeah, Leeds plus 320. Uh, Leeds had a nice upset win for me against West Ham a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they've been a generally underrated team. I think they were overrated coming into the season. They struggled early in the year. Then they went through a period of injury crisis where nobody was available and they were quite poor. But they've, they're starting to turn the corner. They've had some better performances. I think they're getting a Villa team here who is pretty overrated in attack. They've ridden their luck a lot in terms of finishing chances when they're not really creating a ton. And this Leeds defense, despite it being poor generally, has been unlucky in the sense that their goalkeeper has vastly underperformed his expected goal numbers in terms of shot stopping. Melier is an average Premier League keeper based on his overall data and his overall body of work in this league. He was over, you know, he was overperforming last year. Now he's underperforming. You expect some regression there. And so I think leads at plus 320 are a pretty good bet. I have them at plus 270. I also project Villa some value on them to win or draw. And I also like the under. So I think this is going to be a tight game. Uh, and at plus 320, I'm willing to take a shot that leads will get a good result here and maybe even pull off an upset. I love it. I'm going to go. A team that has only won one match all year in the Premier League. Burnley, plus 500 at home at Turf Moor against Manchester United. I think this is a good spot for Burnley. They're going to play a much better lineup than they did against United during the, the festive fixtures. Maxwell Cornet has obviously improved them a ton, while Weghorst had a good debut against Watford this past weekend. Nick Pope will be in goal when he wasn't against United the last time. I've already mentioned it. Basically, all of Burnley's issues this season have come on the road, minus 10.8 expected goal differential on the road, but at home, plus one expected goal differential, and they're only allowing 1.08 expected goals per match. These Sean Dyche teams, they, they typically allow a ton of shots, but they keep them low quality, and they're doing that not at the level they have in the past, but at a pretty good level this season. They're dead last in shots allowed per 90, but seventh in big scoring chances allowed. Manchester United, I believe, is the most overrated team in the Premier League. They have a minus one expected goal differential, but they're sitting in fourth place. 
since Ragnick took over, uh, plus 3.2 expected goal differential with only one match versus the top seven. And they've been horrific defensively away from home. 1.8 expected goals allowed per match. So I think this is a good spot for, for Burnley uh, to potentially grab all three points. Uh, I only have Manchester United projected at plus 104 and Burnley around plus 350. So I like the Clarets at plus 500. All right, let's move on to our best bets for the midweek Premier League slate. Anthony, where are you going? Well, we just talked about it. Wolves and Arsenal, both teams to score yes at minus 115. Just went into this ad nauseum, but Wolves defensively have been the luckiest team, not just in the Premier League, but in all of Europe. They've only conceded 16 goals from 27 and change expected. So they've been incredibly lucky. Part of that has come from their goalkeeper, Jose Sa, who has been the best goalkeeper in Europe based on expected goals allowed and actual goals allowed shot stopping wise. When you look at the post shot numbers, also teams are just not taking their chances against Wolves despite creating plenty of them. So there's a lot of regression coming for this defense. Wolves attack also has some positive regression still coming. They're still underperforming their expected goals, despite being a pretty mediocre attack. But Arsenal has some weaknesses in transition defensively, especially when they've been on the road where they have not been nearly as good this season as they've been at the Emirates. So I think uh, Wolves will get, at, will get at them in transition. They'll win the ball. They like to press. Uh, a good amount in their own half, and they have the pieces to be a good counterattacking side. So I think they'll get one on the break. And like I said, Wolves defensively are due to concede a ton of goals here. Just looking at the numbers, it is not possible to sustain what they have done in the first two thirds of the season. So I'm expecting a lot of regression. I'm expecting goals in this game. Minus 115, both teams to score. Yes. All right. I'm going to go Manchester City, Brentford under three and a half goals at minus 110. When these two teams met during the festive fixture portion of the season, Brentford put up maybe the best defensive performance against Manchester City all season long. They only allowed City 17 shot-creating actions and only 24 touches in the penalty area. That's the lowest output from City all season in any competition. Manchester City is back to playing their slow, pragmatic, possession-based style of play that we saw later toward, towards the later of last season. They're averaging around 67% possession in the Premier League. It's really hard for me to see how Brentford is going to score in this match, holding that much possession. Brentford is 17th in shots per 90 and 19th in box entries in the Premier League. I only have 2.7 goals projected for this one. On average, Manchester City matches are averaging around 2.9 expected goals, and only 35% of their Premier League matches have gone over 3.5 goals. So I like the price of under 3.5 goals at minus 110. All right, that'll do it for another episode of Wonder Goal. Make sure to subscribe to Wonder Goal wherever you get your podcasts. Leave a five-star review. Say something negative if you want to about us, but just make sure that it's a five-star review. Download the Action Network app. Follow Anthony and myself for all of our plays in the midweek and the weekends. Make sure to check out theactionnetwork.com for previews for every single Premier League match, along with my projections and best bets. We'll be back on Thursday morning, breaking down the entire weekend slate across Europe. So for Anthony and myself, see you all on Thursday morning.